Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship. Uh, if this is your first time here, if you've called this place home for, for decades, we want you to know that your presence is a blessing to us this morning, and we're glad that you have joined us for worship. You'll find in the pews beside you friendship pads. We'd invite you to take those out, to fill that out with any information that you'd like to give and pass it down the row. And that's a way for us to get to know the names of the folks around us a little bit and maybe say hi to one another during our passing of the peace a little bit later in the service. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving holiday. Um, we had a different Thanksgiving holiday than usual. Most of the time we stay close to home in, in Richmond. Um, but, uh, but this time we made our way down to Hilton Head uh, with Melissa's dad and we went down and braved the, would you, you'd never think of the, the beach would be windy, would you? Uh, on in November yeah it was kind of windy and a little bit cold uh, but we had a good time nonetheless and on Friday night we got to go to this uh, this great concert uh, somebody who Melissa saw as a kid is still now playing under this huge old oak tree and singing songs for kids um, about you know sandwiches and boogers and uh, other things like that and if you'd like to hear those uh, you can ask my children and they will sing them to you with gusto um, on the way back, we made our way through North Carolina. We used to live in North Carolina for a few years, and we got off at the Rutherfordton exit. If you're from around that area, you know that it's correctly pronounced Rufton. And uh, we usually just kind of bypassed that and went off, uh, but this time we stopped and got something to eat at maybe the, maybe the worst service at fast food restaurants we'd ever had before in our lives. Um, it was rough. My coffee is still there somewhere. Um, it never made it to me. It's, it's somewhere around uh, in Wendy's. Um, but uh, the, the cashier was not doing the best job that morning, and I was a little grumbly and complainy. And we were standing there, and in walks um, uh, a gentleman and, and, uh, and, and his wife, uh, an elderly couple, and he was having a hard time getting in uh, and uh, kind of struggling. Uh, and propping himself up and I noticed that the cashier uh, gets out from behind the front and goes over and takes his arm and helps him over to find a seat and takes care of him and spends a lot of time uh, just caring uh, for these people. So it didn't take long before I realized my, the error of my ways, uh, being a little too judgmental uh, in that situation and seeing somebody else who, uh, who was taking time to do the real work that needed to be done then, of caring for those who needed help in that situation uh, in real and, and much needed ways. And so we have that opportunity here this morning to even in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of, of, uh, of, of our difficulties, to reach out to one another and to offer some help, to realize that God is here pre present with us uh, to provide all that we need, to provide the life and the love and the sustenance that we need so desperately and that we can share with one another. Let's worship together this morning.
please join us in the call to worship. Stand if you're able. This is a time for giving thanks, a time to be mindful of the good that encircles us. Thank you, God, for all you have given us. Friends and family encourage and care, and this community shows us God's loving ways. Thank you, God, for all you have given us. We find a home in God's creation, and the earth gives us good food to make us grow. Thank you, God, for all you have given us. The seasons change, sunshine comes and goes, yet your loving care for us is eternal. Thank you, God, for all you have join me in prayer. Lord, in time of this Thanksgiving, help us to remember to be grateful for all the things that we have. Let us be a blessing to those who may be struggling during this time. Thank you for loving us unconditionally, giving us strength when we need it. In your name, amen. Please pass the peace to those around you. <laughs>
Our Hebrew scriptures for this morning comes from the book of Joel, chapter 2. Do not fear, O soil. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. The word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer, gratitude is on our minds and our hearts this morning, and we come offering this prayer as we remember the goodness around us for which we are so thankful. O oh God, we are thankful for the people who enrich our lives, for the family and friends near and far, for the friendships throughout our life who support us no matter what. We are thankful for this church family and to know that in good times and trying times, we can call someone and they will be there to laugh and to offer comfort. We are thankful for our children and our grandchildren and the generations to come, for our parents who are aging and the workers who help them retain independence and safety. And we are grateful for the times that we gather around a table and the joy in sharing memories. Oh God, we are thankful for the beauty of this creation, for the fresh air, for clean water, for ladybugs and spiders, for the early sunrise and the mountain streams, for the colorful leaves and crisp, cool morning air, for the early walks to begin the day and sitting on the deck watching birds, for the changing of seasons and fresh fallen snow, for the beauty of living here and the nature that is around us. Oh God, we are thankful for your inspiration to continue with you in the work of creation and the ability to think about new ideas for our open minds and our open hearts, for college, for education, for good movies and good books, for beautiful music and the church choir, for your unending love for us and the joy that we have in living. Oh God, there is so much that deserves our gratitude. And may we remember your presence in the places, the people, and the experiences before us. And may we move throughout our days with open eyes and thankful hearts. Amen.
Let's pray together, please. Dear God, we know you've done your part. You've given us love and grace and life and the blessings of this world, of this beautiful world. You gave your son. You gave us opportunities. And now it's up to us to find reasons to be grateful as if there are not plenty of them out there. And yet in this busy and noisy world, sometimes it's hard to see the small things that delight, the little moments that are pure perfection, those moments where we can say truly and with an open and with a thankful heart, thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. May we live as people of gratitude, not of people of obligation, but of true thankful hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
Our Thanksgiving Gospel is found in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I invite you to stand as I read, beginning in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus preaches his most famous sermon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And how can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. For the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've been asked to offer a funeral tomorrow for a woman that I really don't know very well. Her husband had been a member of Midway Baptist Church, and after they moved to Lexington, he also attended our church off and on for a few years. But she had been hurt by a past church experience, not at Midway, but some time ago, and she wasn't interested in going any longer. She refused to give church another try in her life. Though she was a person of faith, she believed in God, she trusted and read her Bible, she prayed frequently, she had it, and had had it, with church. Paraphrasing Gandhi, she didn't have a problem with God, just with God's people. The church had failed her. And maybe you would say she also had failed the church. Doesn't really matter. It's too late for casting blame now. And thankfully, God's grace covers a multitude of our failed accomplishments in life. But once health issues put both of them into care facilities... Outside of her two sons, one of whom I went to high school with, and just a couple of other family members, there weren't too many folks there to lean upon, to visit them, to care for them, to be with them in these, their final years. It's endemic of developed societies in the West. People prefer isolation over community. Harvard political science professor Robert Putnam wrote a world-renowned book now in the early part of the 21st century. It was called Bowling Alone. He offered these lines. People divorced from community, occupation, and association are first and foremost among the supporters of extremism. It sounds almost prophetic now, doesn't it? He goes on to show that extreme television watching was the most lethal assault upon a person's community involvement. The more we're sucked into the boob tube, we find it's making boobs of us all. Hmm. 
What Dr. Putnam did not foresee almost two decades ago was this explosion of our personal use of cell phones and iPads that keep us continually occupied in a mock form of engagement. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many people find you sometimes watch TV with your phone or iPad open and browsing? That we need a distraction from the distraction that we're taking from the distraction of life. Or maybe you've had to try this trick or two during Thanksgiving or Christmas gatherings. You pass around the basket and you ask everyone to put their cell phone in the basket while you're fellowshipping and eating and being together. This task of forming and developing caring communities of concern is my take on what Jesus is trying to say to us in this section of his Sermon on the Mount. He is trying to help folks develop an interest in something outside of themselves. An interest in something that's more fulfilling, more helpful, more participatory, more caring. So he says, don't worry about your life. Now let's just stop right there. Isn't this an impossibility? Especially as we read it in English. Of course we cannot but help about our existence and thinking about it and its survivability and its well-being. It's, it's impossible for us not to think about those things or be concerned about those things. That's why it's better, far better, for the force of the Greek, not toward our English word of worry, but to the word preoccupation or being preoccupied. The understanding of being overly concerned or exclusively concerned only about a few things, like our clothing or our food, our consumption, our appetites. One of my favorite words that I learned in college, in psychology class, was perseverate. It speaks of a repeated and prolonged action, thought, or utterance after the stimulus that promoted it has ceased. You perseverate on certain things. And we know plenty of people that perseverate a lot, like broken records. Repeating the same themes, sometimes using the exact same words over and over and over and over again. They are stuck, looping in their tired old tapes of negativity, complaints, and hopelessness. But there is a huge difference between being concerned about something and being preoccupied about it. Again, no show of hands. But I imagine a few of you have thought, at least for a moment today, about what you're going to have for lunch after the service is over. And I imagine many of you gave a little bit of forethought to what you were going to wear to church where everyone's going to see you. Did those concerns already place you in violation? of Jesus' instructions not to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear? I doubt it. Unless you perseverated, preoccupying yourself with such concerns, so focused upon them that you could think of nothing else whatsoever. If you spent all your morning thinking about that perfect place for lunch... <laughs> or that perfect outfit you were going to display for everyone to see, then how much time was left over for you to develop your relationship with God or with God's people? Philippians 3, 18 through 19 warns us that the enemies 
of the cross of Christ have a destiny whose name is destruction, whose God is one they worship called appetite, whose glory is actually their shame because they have set their minds, they have perseverated on earthly things exclusively. Felicity Kelkhorse is a professor of pastoral care in Indianapolis, and she tells about a story from her own personal experience when she served as a hospital chaplain. And as often the case in ministry, where you walk in the ups and downs in people's experience, you can have many different types of similar experiences all in the same day. A funeral in the afternoon, perhaps is followed by the birth of a new baby in the evening, and there you are standing with people crying and celebrating within six or seven hours of each other. Well, she told of needing, on this day as a hospital chaplain, to visit two patients. One, a man who had lost both of his arms in a farming accident, and another, a woman who had lost a toe in a freak accident. She thought, I will do the most difficult one first. And so, thinking of the horror of the man's accident, she hesitated to enter into his room. What would she find there? Would she find a person bitter, negative? Would she be somewhat grossed out by this incredible deformity now of his body? What kind of situation would it be like for her to enter into that room? And did she have the faith to do it? But she made her way in and discovered there a person who was very grateful just for the sheer blessing of being alive. Far from lamenting his loss, he was giving thanks for the son who actually saved his life and the love of his family and faith community were there praying for him. Despite such a terrible injury, the loving presence of those around him sustained him in what was by far the most difficult thing a person might endure. Then in the next visit, in the other room, she visited with this young woman, having lost one of her toes. Unlike the farmer, she encountered a person who felt totally alone in the world. There was no one to call upon, not even her parents with whom she was estranged, not her friends. She felt like, I really don't have any friends. There was only one single boyfriend that she was afraid to call because she feared he would stop loving her after he found out that she was damaged. She was isolated, disconnected, and as a result, her ability to trust in herself or her future or her ability to cope with this difficulty seemed impossible. And the task of the pastoral counselor became much heavier. The difference? One facing a fate far worse had the blessing and support of a community around him. The other, still with a very significant challenge, was a condition that in time would only be known by her, had no community at all. Who do you call upon when things get tough for you? Who's there for you? Who is supporting you? What kind of relationships have you developed and engendered over time that would allow you to know, I am cared for by God and by others? It's here I find Jesus' instructions particularly useful. For if we are indeed creatures of habit, we will perseverate on things. We should build healthy habits, healthy ways into our lives and into the lives of others that are sustaining. And if we are constantly preoccupied with our own needs, exclusively involved with our own desires, wants, then we sell ourselves short. 
from the very thing that makes life truly and deeply fulfilling. And that is taking care of one another. Of considering someone else's needs more legitimate than my own. When we stop worrying about ourselves, we might be able to take up the better cause of taking care of someone else. Told you we'd have a moment to raise our hands. Here's the hand I'm raising. I don't need to worry about what I'm going to eat. I've got plenty of reserves. I can live on them for some time. That's not something I really need to worry about. And I don't really need to worry about what I'm going to wear. I've got more options than times to choose what I might put on my body. That's just something that is not necessary to spend a lot of time on. But perhaps I should be far more worried about the needs of others. That when I'm free from not worrying about myself, I am free to worry about things that truly do matter. According to an article in the Courier-Journal last year around November, and I'm sure the condition is worse now than even then, one quarter, 25% of the children in our state live below the federal poverty level. 25% of Kentucky kids live before, below the poverty level. 12% of those children live in extreme poverty, which is below 50% of the poverty level. Wow. And nearly half, 50% of children live in homes considered low income or 200% of the poverty level the report found. Poverty level somewhere around $23,000 per year. 25%? living below the federal poverty level. 12% in extreme poverty. Not merely kids somewhere off in the other places, the far reaches of the world, but here in our own commonwealth. And if I'm worried about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear, how much time am I spent worrying about those things? Seems Jesus isn't saying to us, don't worry. But instead, if we're going to worry, at least worry about things that truly matter. Be concerned, preoccupied, perseverate on the needs of others more than our own needs. So what makes a good day? A day you might look back upon when the sun sets and says, that was a really good day. I would suggest it's not about more abundance, more fluence, good meals, nice things to do, and plenty of distractions. A good day is when we lay our head upon the pillow and we remember one small, tiny thing we did significantly for someone else. A little bit of goodness that we infuse the world with when we got out of our own skin and started living appropriately and compassionately for the needs of someone around us. That's what real living's all about. The good I can do for someone else. And Jesus offers us this invitation to live in a world of abundance and generosity and new life. A world where we will risk the fragility and trust and vulnerability it takes to get out of ourselves and to reach across a boundary or border and to help lift up someone that needs a loving hand. Were you paying attention back there when we had the Hebrew scripture lesson? When it said, O soil, rejoice, that the creation delights in the glory of the Creator, that it's even possible for dirt to be happy. 
And if birds and lilies of the field don't seem to care much about their personal security and are willing to exchange their safety for creating and living in a world of greater trust and gratitude and faith, well, maybe we can learn a little bit from them as well. We now have an opportunity to respond to the goodness and grace of God as we stand and sing this wonderful hymn. Now thank we all our God. If you wish to make a decision to be baptized, to be a part of this church known to us, we gladly accept that decision that you would offer as we now together sing in faith hymn 643. Let us stand and sing. hope all of you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. I see a few folks here that have been visiting from Thanksgiving uh, for their families. It's good to see you. And it's been a wonderful week. And now we make that turn, right? Advent and Christmas. Not quite ready for it. My understanding is it's supposed to be 60 degrees this afternoon and freezing rain tomorrow night. If you're new here, welcome to Kentucky. Um, so it's um, the uh, winter world is coming, but also the celebration of Advent and Christmas. And I hope that you're aware that next Sunday night is our traditional candlelight communion meal and service, and that you're planning to come for that. It's always a wonderful time of the year to be together. And if you're not in the Christmas mood, and if you are in the Christmas mood already, I'm guessing you're probably in that mood all year round. 
You just stay in the Christmas mood. Or if you're like me, you need a jump start. And one of the ways in which we truly celebrate the beginning of that season of the new uh, Christian year and the uh, welcome again of Christ's birth among us is with that candlelight service. So I hope you're planning for that. You'll see details of that and other Advent events that are coming to the life of our church in your insert. So pay attention. Also today is Johnny Hill's last Sunday with us uh, before he moves to Oklahoma uh, with a job that I think is a dream job for you. Uh, but we'll think of you, Johnny, and Johnny's right here. So say a word of prayer and blessing. And uh, as we always say, we never say goodbye in the church, just we'll see you later. And we'll see you later, we're not sure when, but we'll pray for you as you make this journey in this new community and know that God has great and wonderful things for you. You've been a very important part of our lives and our church. We will miss you, but we will look forward to seeing you again. So say a word to Johnny uh, this day. Anything else? You bow now for the benediction. Now to the God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.